the Word of God. Good morning, church. A little bit of rearranging to do here. Um, Before I start, I do want to say uh, our passage today, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So you can turn there in your Bibles if you would like. It will also be on the screen, I believe, if you would like to follow along there. I do want to say that this passage, uh, verses 16 through 21, is extremely theologically dense, as Paul uh, likes to write. He he almost always writes that way. But I am not here to make any uh, controversial or mighty theological claims. After all, I am only a first-year seminary student. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Today's passage is about the ministry of reconciliation and what that says about Christ and what that says about us. And so our identity and Christ's identity is wrapped up in this passage here. And so that's what I wanted to focus on, especially going into this new year. Right. This is a time where a lot of us make goals. A lot of us look at ourselves and the year in the past and we prepare to go forward. We make these goals and often a lot of times they are in vain. They only last a couple of weeks for many of us. Um, but I did want to pick a passage and present a message to you that was a reminder of who we are in Christ and how that looks for us going forward and how we can prepare for the new year. And so I'm going to start out by reading verses 16 through 21. And starting in verse 16, Paul says, Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he was, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you in gratitude. We thank you for this amazing opportunity that we have before stepping into the new year, Lord, to, to take time to look at who you are and who we are in light of you, Lord, to have an opportunity to be reconciled to you, Lord, to draw close to you, Lord, to prepare for this new year, because we know, Lord, that, that this is a war and the gates of hell are preparing for this new year, but we hold fast to the hope that they prepare in vain, that you have paid the price that you have laid down on the cross, that the victory has been won, Lord. And so we pray, Lord, that our hearts would be prepared for you, 
and that your word would go forth today. And we pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. And so as I was preparing for this sermon today, like I said, this passage is very dense and I'm going through these verses and I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is a lot for me to go through in one, in one sermon. I might have to make this shorter. And so I zoned in on verse 17, which is the verse that originally drew me to this passage. And as I was breaking this down piece by piece, I started to realize that the rest of the verses surrounding verses 16 19 through 21, or 17, or 18, I'm sorry, through 21, are extremely reflective of the individual pieces of verse 17. And so today, we're going to look specifically at verse 17. We're going to zoom in on that verse, but we're going to use the rest of the verses to interpret the scriptures here. And so I'm going to read verse 17 again, and then we're going to go into it. And so verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. And so this first part here, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. And so what Paul is calling us to do here is to look at people who are in Christ as a new creature. And so how do we do that? How do we look at new at people who are in Christ as new creatures. What does that mean? And how do we do that? And I think in order to figure that out, we can look back at verse 16, which is what this therefore at the beginning of verse 17 is pointing to. And so verse 16, I'll read it again, says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. So this be. The beginning of this verse, verse 16, says, Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. And it goes on to say, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. And so we see, in order to see anyone who is in Christ as a new creature, we have to see Christ for who he really is first. We have to see Christ not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so as believers, we must look at Christ according to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit to be more specifically. And so we see throughout the Gospels that many people have followed Christ and later deserted him. But what they needed in order to understand who Christ was and what he was to do on the cross and what he did do on the cross, what they needed and what we need is the grace of God in the form of the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. Without that, we can understand nothing. This is why Jesus said in, in John sixteen seven. but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And so without that Holy Spirit, without that helper, it is impossible for us to see Christ and his sacrifice. It is impossible for us to read the words of the scripture and understand what that sacrifice truly means. And so for those of you who are in Christ today, I ask you to look upon one of those days in which you were an unbeliever, in which you were without Christ. And how did you view the gospel? 
How did you view Christ? How did you view these scriptures? You could have had a positive view. Maybe you thought Jesus or God was this good spiritual character who who did good things in the world. Maybe you had a negative view. Maybe you looked at God as your genie. Anytime you needed something, anytime you got into trouble, you called out to him, hoping that he would come save you. But whatever your view was, before the Holy Spirit dwelled within you, it was distorted. But with the Holy Spirit, we can see Christ's sacrifice for what it really is. But the Spirit doesn't just allow us to see Christ as God intended. No, verse 16 says we recognize no one according to the flesh. And so we, as Christians, we are people who do not just recognize Christ for who he is, but we recognize everyone according to the Spirit. We recognize everything according to the Spirit. We have the Scriptures, so we are able to reconcile the world according to the Scriptures. And so we must recognize people differently. For those of you who know me well, or really know me at all, you know I have an amazing love for nature that God has given me. I really just love his creation. He's given me the God-given ability to look at a tree and see how his creativity has worked itself out in this world. Anytime I need to get away, I always go out into nature. I've, I've spent days out just in the woods by myself. I love it. And there was one night this past semester while I was at school, we have chapels every week. And so we were worshiping in the chapel and there was uh, the song that we were singing and it was speaking of the majesty, of the grandness of Christ and, and God and his creation and who he is. And I got the same overwhelming feeling that I get when I go out into nature and I see his creation and I go, this is amazing. This is a joy that he has built this and placed me here in order to enjoy it. And as we're singing, I feel the same thing come over me and then I felt him convict me. I didn't hear his voice audibly, but I felt him put it on my heart. to say, John, every time you look at my creation and you feel this amazing sense of awe of what I've created. Every time you look at a human being, you should feel the same thing. You should recognize the same thing. Church, hear me when I say this. People are the most magnificent things apart from the holiness of God himself you could ever lay your eyes upon. People are image bearers of Christ the creator of the universe, the one who put you here, who created you from the ground up. He also created everyone else. And we are image bearers of him. And we need to recognize that when we look at people. I say this just as much for me as I do for you, but I heard a wise man say once that if you're talking to a person and you get bored, you're the problem. God has created amazing things in us. Imagine how we would treat people if that was on the front of our minds during every interaction. 
I encourage you to exude the love of Christ back to his creation every time you interact with someone. The second point I want to make, back to verse 17. The beginning says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ. So Paul talking here is is saying this Jesus, this gospel that we have, this word that we have, this ministry of reconciliation, this, this ability to be reconciled back to Christ is for all types of people. It is for anyone. It is for anyone. Doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, what you look like, your financial status, where you come from. It doesn't matter. I tell you the truth that you can be a new creature in Christ today. Often we think we need to fix ourselves before we can go to God. We think, oh, this part of our life isn't put in order, so we need to fix that before we go and ask God for something. Right? We can't go to him unless... We're put together. We don't have, we don't deserve to do that. We often think that or, or that we've done too much, that we've walked around in the mud for too long, that we've gotten too dirty. And that even if God wanted to fix us, he can't, but he wouldn't want to anyway. We've spent too much time in the mud. But in response to that, I want to read you Matthew chapter nine, verses 10 through 13. You might recognize it if you were at our Christmas party. It says this, then it happened that as Jesus were reclining at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dwelling with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why is your teacher eating with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus heard this and said, it's not those who are healthy who need a physician but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire compassion and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. I heard this story once. I think it was from a pastor preaching. I don't remember who it was exactly, so forgive me, but he made this point. He said someone had come up to him one day and said, you know, I really don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites. There's so many hypocrites in the church. And well, that's a fair point. Why would you want to go to a place where people tell you to do all these things, but they're doing everything that's the opposite? But then he goes, that may not be as clever as it sounds at first glance, because Who is the church for if not for hypocrites, if not for sinners? Now, I'm not condoning hypocrisy. I'm not condoning sin. Don't get me wrong there when I say that. But this church is a place for people to come and be reconciled to God. This is a place for people to come and learn. This is a place for people to come and be reformed by the Spirit. This is not a place for perfect people. I'm not perfect. I hope all of you know you're also not perfect. But this church, this gospel, this word here is for imperfect people. 
There's nothing that can make you too far or too muddy to go to God and ask him to be forgiven, to be reconciled. There is nothing that is beyond his scope. Everyone is on even playing field. So I want to read verse 18 of chapter 5. It says, Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So this is an amazing thing. How is it possible that we are all on even playing field? How is it possible that we none of us are beyond the scope of God? And it says it right here. All these things are from God. God is the reconciler, not us. This is what puts us on even playing field. This is what makes the gospel for all people. Is because he is the reconciler, not us. He does the work, not us. The gospel can be a saving message for all people because all people have equally done nothing to deserve it. All people have equally done nothing to deserve it. We've all sinned, and because God is a just, perfect, and righteous God, that sin has to be dealt with. And we do not have the ability to deal with that apart from eternal damnation. So God set in motion his plan to send his son to die by the hands of his people so that all we have to do is come to believe what he did. The gift of reconciliation is free to us, yes. But it is not free, period. Jesus paid the price of becoming sin. Verse 21, chapter 5. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. Jesus was subjected to the same treatment as the enemies of God for our sake. I remember a story of a boy and his father going out to a lake to go camping. But when they got there, the father said to his son, son, don't go out into this lake. There's alligators in this lake. It's very dangerous. Don't go out there. But a young boy, being a young boy, decides to go out into the lake. His father sees what he's done, and he rushes out to go and get his son, and eventually drags him back onto shore, but not without sustaining some injury, not without having to fight off some alligators. He was attacked and, and badly injured. But the son, again, being a young boy, being a young boy, says, oh, my father saved me. He'll save me again. And he jumps back out into the lake. Now that son did not understand nor appreciate the sacrifice that his father made for him. And as believers, as people in Christ, we must not do the same thing. We must understand the sacrifice that Christ has made Believe in the power 
of that sacrifice and not go out and live in light of the opposite. We must take into account what he has done, the true weight of what he has done, and we must live in light of it. We must not take that sacrifice for granted. And this leads us into our third point. Still focusing on that first section of verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, what does it mean to be in Christ? So Paul here, as he's talking, he is talking to Christians, right? People who are in Christ. And so in order to be that new creature, obviously we must be in Christ. And so what does that mean? And that means, like I said before, we must believe in the sacrifice that Christ made. We must believe in the gospel. But that word believe has been thoroughly distorted by our culture. And so there is a book by James K.A. Smith called You Are What You Love. It's a great book. I recommend you read it. And he gives a really good picture of what that word believe actually means. He coins this term in the book and he repeats it over and over. He says this. You are more than a brain on a stick. What he means by that is you are more than your cognition. You are more than just what you know or what you think. You are more than the collection of knowledge that you have put into your brain. No, you are built. You were created with a soul, with a heart. And there are extreme implications to that. And so the title of the book, You Are What You Love, he's saying that What you really believe is what you end up acting out. It is not just the collection of knowledge that is in your head, but how you envelop your life, how you live your life. And so to really believe, right, the result of belief, do not get me wrong when I say this, I'm not saying that your salvation is dependent on the way that you live or the acts that that you do. But the result of true belief is a life that is fully enveloped in the word of Christ. Fully enveloped in the word of Christ. A full enveloping of the full work of the Trinity. So let me read chapter 5 verse 19 here. It says, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So in this verse, we see the completion of the full work of the Holy Trinity here. In verse 17, we see that Christ is working in us. And in this verse here, we see that God was working in Christ, reconciling us to himself. And so we see God working in Christ. And in verse 17, we see Christ working through us with the Holy Spirit. And so we see the full Trinity here coming together, fully enveloping us, working within us. And so therefore, there there is a full envelopment of the full Godhead resulting in the the new creature whose trespasses are no longer counted against them. This is why it could be said in Isaiah 53.10 from the Old Testament reading earlier. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. 
if he would render himself a guilt offering. How is it possible that the Lord could be pleased by putting his son to grief? How is that possible that he could be pleased by something so tragic? How is that possible that the seemingly greatest victory from the gates of hell could be turned into their greatest loss and the greatest victory for us as people in Christ? How is that possible? Well, he wasn't pleased by the actual physical pain or torture that was caused by Christ, but the work that was done Through that sacrifice, God, because it is his sacrifice, again, he was working in Christ. And so he himself was part of the sacrifice, was the sacrifice. And so he could be pleased by the work that was being done on that cross. Knowing that by his son's sacrifice, he was reconciling his people, us, to him. He was pleased to know that a bridge between us and him was being created. And so to be in Christ is to be fully enveloped in the complete Trinity, the work of God in Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit in us, the work of Christ on the cross. Moving forward to the second section of verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. The new things have come. What does it mean to be a new creature? I think in order to see that, we can look at verse uh, verse 20, I'm sorry, which says, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making his appeal through us, we beg You, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so to be a new creature in Christ is to be an ambassador for Christ. King Nebuchadnezzar, when he would go around conquering different nations, in his wake he would wreck erect large statues called Salem. He would put these statues up in any nation that he conquered. But these statues of him were, were more than just his ego being put up in different nations when he conquered. There was actually some strategy behind it. And that strategy was that wherever he conquered, he couldn't be everywhere all at once. And so what he wanted to do was erect a statue of himself that was an image of him and was to be treated as though King Nebuchadnezzar were actually there. And so the people of that country or of that nation that who were conquered would treat that statue with the same respect as if he were actually there. And so these statues held the same weight as the king himself. They were image bearers of the king. They were reminders of who their leader was, of who their ruler was. So God does something very similar with us. We are God's image bearers. 
Now, we are not a sign of conquering, but we are a reflection of God himself in this world as new creatures. We are his ambassadors. And so we hold great value and great responsibility as those image bearers. And we see that value and that responsibility in the story of David and Bathsheba. If you don't know the story, David stayed home from battle one day and he saw a woman named Bathsheba and he called her uh, uh, into his palace. And one thing led to another and she ended up with child. And so David starts to freak out here because she had a husband named Uriah, which was one of his top generals. And so what David did to cover it up was he sent Uriah into battle on the front lines in a position where he knew Uriah was going to be killed. Adultery and murder. But, I believe it's 2 Samuel chapter 12 tells us that he was not punished for the adultery or for the murder. He was punished because he caused the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme his name. He destroyed that image-bearing status that he had. He caused God's name to be slandered. And so I encourage you to bear that authority, that, that gift that we have as image-bearers, nobly, as new creatures. We are ambassadors. And so do not take that lightly. Verse 20 also says, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And so as an ambassador of Christ, I beg you now, be reconciled to God today. Again, there is nothing, there is nothing you have done, there is nothing you could do, there is nothing about you that God is too small to overcome. You can be reconciled now, you can be reconciled today, You go to him, you agree with him about your sin, and you ask him for forgiveness, and he will forgive you as a holy and righteous and faithful father. So our last point today. comes from the last section of verse 17. I'll read the whole thing again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. And behold, the new things have come. The new things have come. They're not coming. They're not on the way. The new things have come. Chapter 5, verse 21 says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So that we might become the righteousness of God in him. If you are a Christian today, you are and are becoming the righteousness of God. Let me repeat that. If you are a Christian today, you are and are becoming the righteousness of of God. Amen. 
there is nothing and no one that could change or take that away. You can be assured in verses like Philippians 1, verse 6. It says, For I am confident in this very thing, that he who begun a work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. You can be assured in who you are in Christ. You can be assured of that identity. If you are in him, you are his child. You are adopted by him. You are his. And so again, I beg you, those of you who are not his child today, those of you who have not come to trust in him, maybe you're watching this online, I beg you to go to him now. Do not wait. And for those of you who are in Christ, stick to the hope of the gospel. Do not give it up. And so in closing, two verses come to mind. The first is from Hebrews 4.12 that says, For the word of God is a living and active, I'm sorry, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of the soul and the spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And Isaiah 55, 11 says, so will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire. And so as I close, I'm just going to reread the passage from today, assured of the hope that his word will cut to your heart sharper than any two-edged sword and will not return back void. My hope is that as I read this and pray, these words will ring out true. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh. Yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to him. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Let's pray.